This episode of Converge with my guest, Tara Gentili, is sponsored by WeaveWriter. For more information, check out WeaveWriter.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. There are speakers, and then there are speakers. Tara Gentili is a friend of mine now, but it didn't start out that way. I recently had the opportunity to present a little workshop up at Chris Gillibo's Pioneer Nation, this conference for solopreneurs. It's pretty incredible. But while I was there, I heard a number of great speakers. They're all very impressive. But one in particular, Tara, she invited people like me uh, who maybe have heard some things before, been around the block once or twice. And what I was surprised by with her wasn't just her content, which was extraordinary, but it was her person. She owned it. She lived in the midst of it. And as a result, I found myself as a recipient, not only getting great content, but getting invited into a different way of being. I think by the end of today's episode, what you're going to find is that kind of impact might be so for you. And I hope you enjoy the ride. If you ask yourself the question, how can I be of service? How can I create value? You can see an opportunity to do that anywhere. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Tara, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yeah, my pleasure. It's true. I, you know, the conference, there was a lot of surprises at that thing. I was really honored to be a part of it. But I remember while I was there, and I give, I'll give some folks a little bit of context for what I was just sharing. I had the chance to go to your workshop in particular. And you did this, you know, there were some tactical, technical things that you were walking people through. And we'll get to that in just a minute. It was very helpful. But there was also this kind of, you had this ability to kind of pierce the veneer. And I know you do a lot of consulting, a lot of coaching. I'm wondering, even though I want to get to the history of how you got to where you're at in a moment, I'm wondering if we could start there, first of all. Like what, when you're interacting with, as a strategist and a business coach and, and all the different things that you do, what are you thinking about when you're interacting with the customer? Because your whole world seems so customer centric. And I'm, I'm not trying to minimize our friendship like I'm a customer, but I, I was in a sense, like you were, you were sensitive to where I was at and you were doing that with everyone in the room. What is your mindset when you're approaching or relating with, with someone around when you want to help them? Yeah, that is such a great question. And I'm not sure that I've ever um, considered it from that angle before. I would say that my mindset is to be a listener always. So when I'm, even when I'm presenting, when I'm on stage or when I'm teaching a workshop, when I'm, you know, consulting with a group of, of business owners on the phone, my goal is to listen. Uh, because I think often, you know, we get so caught up in the presentation, we get so caught up in the teaching and we miss that vital piece of information that will take what we're doing from, you know, great, good to really, you know, transformative or extraordinary. And, you know, I think my goal is always to be transformative and extraordinary. And so I want to have every little bit of information that I can have to make that happen. And so listening is such a 
huge part of, of my mindset and what I am trying to accomplish. Um, what fascinates me most is trying to understand where someone else is coming from, to really get underneath the surface and know, okay, you might be saying this, but I know you're really thinking this, or I might see you doing this and but why? Why are you doing that? What is it that's going on in your head, in your circumstances, in your business right now that's causing these actions or that's causing you, you know, to say these things? And for me, opening myself up to that kind of information and then using that information uh, makes me much more effective at what I do. So it's a, you know, it's a win-win. I get the, the pleasure of having that sense of mastery, my customers or my, my students get the, the pleasure of having those transformative experiences. It's really the listening piece for me. Well, it's funny when, when you say that, that makes a lot more sense to me because this idea of knowing where the other is coming from, what their perspective is, because that mirrors my experience as someone who was getting to know you for the first time. But the, uh, that experience of, of feeling known, I mean, that's what it felt like when you, and you connect the dots between listening to know where they're actually coming from, where I'm coming from, uh, especially given the volume of people that you hear from, to intentionally disregard what they're saying to really get through that veneer to hear what they're actually meaning, <laughs> that that sounds like quite a challenge. Yeah, although, you know, I think it's it's something that I've been fascinated with my whole life. So my background or my academic background is in religious studies. And the reason I'm interested in religious studies is because I love knowing the foundation of why people think the way they think, why people act the way they act, why people believe the way they believe, and how that influences how they interact with the world. And so my kind of customer obsession comes from the same place. I want to know what it is that you, what, you know, why you do what you do, why you say what you say, why you believe what you believe, so that I can use that information to help you get where you want to go. That's everything to me. Uh, and it's, it comes from just very earnest and early passion that I have for understanding the insides of other people. Well, talk a little bit about that background. So, so you studied, um, religious studies in, in college, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. What, what what were the dots between there and here? Because now you're you have an, a bit of an empire. I mean, <laughs> there's the the speaking, the workshops, the consulting. There's people can play at a bunch of different levels. They can just show up and do a DIY version of you, or they can all the way through to pretty robust um, engagement. But you don't just kind of flick a switch to get there. So help me understand from college to now, what were some milestones? Yeah, so probably the biggest milestone was deciding not to go to grad school for religious studies. I got accepted to my school of choice. I got a full ride to my school of choice, and my plan was to carry on until I got my PhD. And two weeks before I was supposed to leave, I decided not to go. Um, I say I got bit by the conventional life bug, and I just, you know, I was so worried about having a uh, a regular paycheck and a and a full time job. And those things are so, um, yeah, they're so hit or miss for academics, especially in a field like religious studies. Uh, so I took my summer job and turned it into a full-time job that fall. Um, and uh, I was managing a Borders bookstore. That was my 
my full-time, I'm an adult job, I love uh, it. which turned out to be uh, a completely dead-end job, right? That's not even, uh, you know, there were, there was a there was a track that I could take to move up, but the company went out of business uh, seven years after I started. Now, I left before the company went out of business, but it was quite clear to me uh, after the initial thrill of, you know, loving being surrounded by books and coffee on a daily basis, it, after that initial thrill wore off, it was clear that this was not going to be what made me happy for the rest of my life. Uh, so I, I jumped ship there uh, when I gave birth to my daughter. And because of that, really took stock of what my skills were and how I might apply them. Uh, and I came up with all sorts of different ways that I could do that. And I didn't exactly know what that was going to look like um, or how I was going to figure out working from home, but I knew that I could do it. <laughs> and so six months later, I, after I combed the internet for information of people working from home. And I discovered this amazing community of online entrepreneurs. I started my first website, which was a community for makers, designers, and artists in Pennsylvania. And so it was called handmadeinpa.net. And that website, even though it did, never got like tons of traffic, it really took off and had an amazing community behind it. And people, you know, really loved reading my articles and seeing where I was going in Pennsylvania to check out the, the craft scene, to check out the art scene. And so it, it did really well. And that led me to then purchasing an existing blog business called Scouty Girl in July of that year. So six months or seven months after I started the initial business, I purchased another business and took that over. And that allowed me to reach a much bigger audience. And very quickly, I realized that, you know, what was craft business or what was craft blogging business at the time was not going to satisfy me. So I started writing really just more from my heart, more from what I was uh, really what I was thinking about all sorts of different subjects uh, on kind of the by handmade, by local new economy movement. And very quickly that content outgrew that site. And that's when I moved on into my own domain, you know, moving into my own business and really being able to own the fact that uh, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm really interested in right now. Uh, and this is what I have a real talent for and a set of skills that I can turn into tools that other people can use to grow and, you know, achieve their own dreams and their own goals. And so my business from that point on has really just been iterations of the, of the same thing, kind of, you know, trying one thing, experimenting with this, getting curious about something else and turning it into over and over again, something that really works for people. Wow. There's so much in what you were just sharing in, in your journey. And, and there's also some fun, mine are far less glamorous, but some commonalities. So you studied religious studies. I studied, I actually went on to grad school briefly, but I did the worst possible thing. Like you got out early. Uh, and, and then there are people who go all the way through. I just got an MA in philosophy, which is like a Ooh. like guaranteed unemployment, like guaranteed. Right, totally. Yeah. And then from there, I graduated to Home Depot. You went to Borders, which is way sexier. And so while you're around books and coffee, I was around like paint yeah. and, and, and uh, caulking. And, and I'll tell you, though, Home Depot pays way better. <laughs> you know, and they have stock options. But but that's another conversation. But um, but then uh, I I love the transition. So there you are kind of in those appropriate 
uh, wandering years of really just starting through like, you know, who am I? What am I about? You're beginning to notice the beginnings of talents and skill sets. And I want to come back to that in a moment. And then you, you paused to, t- to take stock. And that, that's the part that I'm really struck by. I mean, I think of the folks who are listening to this. Why are people taking time out to hear a conversation around the convergence of business and creativity? Why are people uh, you know, like on their 26-minute commute, uh, 96 million Americans are, are in a car somewhere, and a handful of those are listening to this dialogue? And in a sense, they're being invited to take stock. And I love that you're modeling that, that that's where you, you led from. And it didn't stop when you were at that stage. You were also, I mean, you had a significant milestone in the birth of your daughter that caused you pause. But in addition to that, you've, you've kept that habit since then. And uh, whether it be Makers and PA or Scouty Girl, through it all, you have these transferable skills, these talents, and you were noticing and you were getting curious. And you then, then what I'm most excited about, even though I just said I was most excited and now I'm saying it twice, I'm really excited again, <laughs> uh, this notion of recognizing that your talents and, and skills could actually be things that could be hung on to a whole bunch of options. It could be hung on to religious studies. It could be hung on to just being a mom. It could be hung on to um, how you're, you know, in the maker movement, or it also could be hung on what you described as this new economy movement. Talk a little bit about the distinction between knowing who you are, like you're what you, and you're able to do and discerning where to hang your hat. Yeah. Wow. That is a fantastic question. For me, it's how can I be of service? Where can I create value? And that can happen in any industry, in any movement, in any circle of people. I think that our skills and the things that we know how to do, the things that we can do, that we're really passionate about, that turn us on, those things are infinitely flexible Uh, And if you ask yourself the question, how can I be of service? How can I create value? You can see an opportunity to do that anywhere, Um, which, you know, makes me very frustrated with people who are, quote unquote, waiting to find their passion or who are looking for their passion. You're, you know, if you're 20 years old and you don't know what your passion is, you know, you got to look back through your personal history because it's there. It's been there all along. We're, we are passionate driven people as human beings, just because you haven't found that one thing that you think is going to see you through to the end of your life doesn't mean that you haven't found your passion. And in fact, that one thing is largely a myth. It's the set of skills that we have, the set of talents that we have that allow us to feel passion on a daily basis. And that can be done anywhere. Um, and then I think, you know, how do you choose? Well, it's finding an opportunity. Um, I could have chosen anything at that, at that juncture in time and been successful. Um, but it was looking for an opportunity. It was looking for something, you know, uh, looking for a hole in the market in the conversation and saying, Hey, I can plug this hole. I can take my skills, create value, be of service of here, here and plug this hole. Uh, so I think this question of, what do you choose is not nearly as important as how do you know what it is that you have to offer and, and how can you turn those things into service and value? And I think we get way hung up 
on the choosing piece and way not hung up on the what is it that I can be of service with? What is it? How is it that I can create value? And I, I love that you pointed out that this is a continual process of inquiry for me because I, I attempt to make it a continual process of inquiry for my clients as well. So in the, the main group that I run, the main coaching group that I run called 10,000 Feet, uh, one of our very first modules is called an onlyness inventory. And onlyness is a term that Nilifer Merchant, who wrote an amazing book called 11 Rules for Creating Value in the Social Era, uh, she coined this term onlyness, which is essentially another way of saying your special something. It's the list, it's the set of skills, passions, and talents that you and only you can bring to the table to create value. Uh, and so I have my clients literally list out every single skill they have, every single talent they have, every single passion that they have. And sometimes these lists get go on and on and on, and they're like ridiculous uh, because they, they're all over the place. But that's exactly the purpose behind it, to dive really deep and realize all of these things that we have to bring to the table in the name of creating service and, and creating or being of service and creating value. Um, and what I think people don't realize is just the, um, the amount of capital, really soft capital that they have to bring through the, to bring to the table through these skills, passions, and talents. notion that that we can go anywhere with these things these and 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 i like that for our purposes today like lumping talents themes or talent skills and passions into one makes sense to me i i was tempted when you started talking about the, to go off on the conversation around passions and whether or not someone should follow their passions but i think if i'm hearing you right in this context you're really saying look uh, interest biases kind of your defaults the things that are inside you whether you recognize them or not that you actually have a capacity for. Is that is that the ballpark of what you mean by those things? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so assuming that that's the case. So if you're listening to this at home or wherever you are, uh, don't get hung up on any of these one kind of distinctions. We're just saying generally talents, passions, skills, the core of what you can do to serve and to bring value. Uh, you mentioned that you can, in a sense, do that anywhere. And, you know, dig in a ditch or, or run in a uh, multinational, uh, um, who you are is going to show up. Your character is really, really what I'm hearing you talk about. Absolutely. It's going to show up in all of these different places, but not every anywhere is created equal. I mean, you can create a lot more value in one place over another, like what you're doing now compared to what you were doing at borders. The impact is distinct. And what I make up, at least in my own career is when I get paralyzed or I feel stuck it's not all just because I don't have a great articulation of my capacity. Some of it is I just don't want to make the wrong choice. I don't want to screw it up. I'm scared. And I'm, I'm confident you run up against this all the time <laughs> with your clients. How do you get them off the ledge to say, look, pick something so you can work it out in real time and figure out where you want to go from there? How, how do you relate with folks who feel stuck in that place? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because I, I don't relate to people who feel stuck in the <laughs> um, We're so just I, losers. You're just, I got it. I got it. We're just no, one no, of those. No, no. I got this, it. It's cool. Let's move my, on. Like, this is where Tara, the nasty coach comes out. <laughs> and I pretty much just tell them, okay, what, like pick one of these three things. I see you looking at this, this, and this pick one. 
pick right. one and I'm going to hold you accountable to this. And, and, you know, I think this is where a coaching or accountability or a consulting uh, support person in your life and your business is extremely important uh, because I know that it's something that so many people get hung up on. I will try anything for 24 hours to a week, right? There are so many ideas that I start on that never get finished. Uh, like my boyfriend has said to me so many times, well, I'm, I'm so proud of you. You just accomplish so much all the time. And I'm like, but you don't like, even you, even this person that I share my life with does not see all of the things that I fail or stop doing at any given point in time. And so, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how I frame it up for my, for my, uh, clients as well. It's like, just because you pick this one thing doesn't uh, mean that you can't pick the other thing next week. Like yeah. when this one loses your attention, just get rid of it. Who cares? Well, we'll move on to the next thing. Something else that I do uh, with my 10,000 feet clients is that we work on choosing a chief initiative. And that chief initiative is sort of like that one big pie in the sky goal that they could work toward for the next 12 months. And that is the only goal they're allowed to have for 12, sometimes 18 months, depending on what that goal is. Because within that, there are so many smaller goals. There are so many plans. There are so many tactics. There are so many things that need to be accomplished just to achieve that one goal. And so again, if they've got that one focus and this, this is the thing that, you know, has been on their mind for years, right? It's writing the book. It's speaking on stage. It's getting interviewed by NPR, being on Oprah. Like this is that one thing that they will not let go. Then everything else that they get confused about the things that they can't prioritize, the things that they're, they're not sure I want to go this direction or that direction. When they actually have that chief initiative, that single focus making the choices within that become much easier. And at the same time, you know, if you make a wrong choice or if you make a choice that isn't going to work out in the end, uh, you can, you know, you can very easily change course. There is always going to be something else that can get you to that singular goal. So I think that's really important as well. So I'm hearing a couple, a couple things in this, uh, in a sense, I'm hearing you initially describe the person. So the person has we're gonna we're gonna lump all those passion skills and talents into capacity. So uh, the individual has a, a set of capacities that they have a growing understanding of. They're getting curious with themselves. They're testing it out in the real world and discovering more kind of nuance to those things. And, and it sounds on some level, and hang with me because I, I could be totally wrong on this, but I want to check it with you. So the person is in a sense I don't want to say fixed, but there there's a substance there. There's something there. And then, then there's this destination, which it sounds like that's way more dynamic, meaning I could go down uh, the road and take who I am and my capacity and try it out in one context. And then if I don't prefer it or the opportunity dries up or whatever, I could go and apply it in another context, but I don't lose the, the stuff I carried with me, my capacity. But what I'm also hearing this new angle, which is really compelling to me, is to look beyond the, the dynamic options I could choose but really have it an ultimate destination, this, this kind of chief initiative you're describing where, where in my mind, as you're saying that, like whether or not I ever get on Oprah or NPR or get the book done, I'm going in a particular and very concrete direction. So it seems like that, that last plot point 
is it's almost like a compass. It's just kind of just orienting me. Like, am I going in that direction again today? Because I'm going to be heading in this direction for a long time. And along the way, I'm going to test out kind of the more fixed parts of me relative to the dynamic kind of pit stops along the way. Is that ballpark what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic way to describe it. And the chief initiative is absolutely a compass. And um, yeah, for me, I've had, you know, probably about three or four main chief initiatives over the time that I've been in business. Some of them I've achieved and some of them they I haven't. Um, so yeah, so the chief initiative is absolutely a compass that helps you accomplish so many other things just on the way to that goal. Powerful. Well, for, for folks that are invited into that, uh, when they show up at, at your website, um, at terragentilly.com, uh, you, you invite them into that right out of the gate. So regardless of whether people have the opportunity to hear you speak or go to your, one of your workshops or join the 10,000 feet crew or whatever, anyone can get the map. What you're describing is this compass, uh, applying that specifically to a map. If you don't have the two, those are it's pretty tough to navigate. <laughs> Um, talk a little bit about this map that you give away to folks for free. Cause I, I've, I experienced you walk through this map with me in person. We were up in, in Portland, uh, and it's incredible. So talk a little bit about that process of what you, what you take people through and how people can go and get the map for themselves. Sure. So it's, it's called the perspective map and it is sort of the crux of my customer perspective process, which is essentially a new way of understanding who your ideal client is in in a way that allows you to create dynamically create products, marketing messages, sales messages, brand positioning, uh, really from the perspective of who the people are that you want to serve. How can I bring all of me into a, a relationship with all of them in a way that really, really makes sense? Um, and so the perspective map is this very simple, which is not to say easy, but it is just very simple tool that allows you to distill the social information that you have about your customers into a form that you can actually apply to product development, marketing, sales, and brand positioning. And so the tool itself is four quadrants, say, do, think, and feel. Uh, and the whole idea here is that, you know, older ways of looking at your ideal clients tend to be very analytical. We look at demographic sectors, we look at, uh, you know, kind of data from surveys. And what I find is that while you can think that you have a really good idea of who your ideal client is, you don't know what motivates them. You don't know um, what things trigger them in a, both negatively and positively. You don't know what kind of underlying assumptions or beliefs that they have that pose themselves as objections to the offer that you're trying to make. And so that's the bridge that I try and gap with this map. That's, that's the goal. You've got to know what is motivating people, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're saying what they're saying, so you can use that information to have a real conversation with them. You know, if you think about the last time you sat down, even with a stranger at a coffee shop or over a drink to try and get to know them, you didn't stop and think a lot. These things happen very naturally. And, and even for me as an introvert, as a wallflower, as someone who's pretty shy on a regular basis. Come on. Oh yeah. I have, I don't have a lot of problems, uh, you know, having a fairly decent conversation with someone. It takes, it's taken me practice, but 
at the same time, it's, you know, my, my social brain kicks in and we all, for the most part, know how to do these things, but we turn that information off. We turn that, that social brain off when we're thinking about our customers. And so the goal of the, the perspective map is essentially to turn that social brain on and see your customers as living, breathing, thinking, motivated people that you can be in conversation with in a way that makes your marketing messages more compelling, your sales conversations more effective, and your products easier to sell. You know, one one of I, I mentioned before we started this the show that ever since Pioneer Nation, uh, uh, in, a, in as non a creepy way as I mean, I can imagine even in my head a lot uh, in our conversations and my conversations with folks and. I love when I can cross pollinate ideas that I'm getting from one place with another and everything that you're saying, this whole notion of this, the customer perspective process, I would, I had that in my mind as I've gotten uh, pretty knee deep into Mitch Joel's book, control alt delete, which is about rebooting your business, rebooting your life. And uh, really he's, a, he's a, someone I've, I've been impressed with for a long time. Um, but the combination of your perspective and his perspective on perspective really unlocked uh, something for me. And I, I just want to check it with you to see if I'm on, on track with everything you're saying. When I'm interacting with someone, it could be my spouse, my wife. So Tammy and I are talking and in my mind, I assume I know what I am thinking, feeling, saying, and doing. But in truth, I, I could be self-deceived. I might have no idea what is actually motivating me or kind of driving me. But yet, and when I'm talking with her, I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that I know exactly what her real motivation is and that clearly she's self-deceived in certain areas of her <laughs> life. Like, when, let's say we're in a fight or something. Like, that dynamic, it's a very human, you know, thing to underestimate the power of perspective. And your invitation for people, like, the idea of engaging clients where they're at and understanding them, like, that is a kind of a broad stroke general thought. That's certainly nothing new. A lot of people have been saying, you know, engagement, don't just broadcast at people and so forth. But, but you're actually holding people's hands and saying, no, we're going to go do this right now. And it's going to hurt a little bit. (laughs) And you're going to see what actually people are seeing of you. And if you're going to get to know your customer, you're going to actually see them in their kind of full spectrum technicolor. And that, I guess what I underestimated was the combination of what you were sharing and what I heard from Mitch in his book was this this real uh, invitation to get out of my seat and truly put myself in the shoes of my customer, even to the point of if I have a product, like I have to like leave my product at the door or my service at the door and say, I'm just going to assume that it doesn't exist. And if I don't like rip that out of my hands and head it's really tough for me to see what they are thinking and saying and feeling and doing because I'm always running that through this filter of for the sake of buying my product. Yes. Uh, and if I don't rip it apart, it's like, and create this real firewall. What I'm amazed by is I, I just think I'm, I'm compromised. I don't, I can't really understand them. But what I've been amazed by is as I've done that, it's like the skies have opened up. I see a whole new set of people uh, yeah. that are human, like that are real. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. That's such a huge part of the customer perspective process is forgetting your expert's perspective, which can, which absolutely equals forgetting your product, forgetting your programs, forgetting your services. You can't engage fully with your customers having the specter of whatever it is that you're trying to sell in your mind. You have to get rid of it and actually look at them 
as human beings. And that's something that I coach people on constantly. What's really going on and how can you fit your business into their life instead of them fitting their lives into your business? That's the most important part, especially in the social era. We need to figure out how we fit into other people's lives until we how we fit into their existing conversations, their existing relationships and make that work for them, not the opposite way. That's probably one of the biggest differences between the old economy and the new economy. You know, what what you're describing, um, and this is what I love about the moment that we're in in history, is everything that you just shared, certainly I could help move some product if I, if I clued into this. But I actually would have a better life if I did this with everyone. I mentioned my wife earlier, since I've been, you've had a positive impact on my marriage, uh, yes. it's, it's been, but it's the same exercise, right? Like right. the, the folks that, that like I, I, it's kind of a crass way to describe it, but I'm always selling something like an idea. I'm enrolling people in ideas all the time. Right. And if I don't pause long enough to care what my wife's life is actually like when I'm not around or my kids or, you know, my friends, my neighbors, whatever, man, it's really tough to have empathy and to meet them where they're at. And ironically, that is, it seems like the road to gold, like whether it be in commerce or just even in relationship. Is that true? I mean, I I absolutely believe that. Um, I believe very strongly in the power of empathy. I think, um, you know, for me as an introvert, I think introverts, it's not that introverts are better at empathy than extroverts are, but I think introverts by nature tend to think about it more or they tend to pause more. And so for me, it's something that I am consciously aware of. Even before I discovered all of these ideas and uh, kind of got into this movement of empathy in business, it was something that I was really thinking about. And I do think that it really plays out in both your, you know, your work life or in your personal life. So it sounds like you're obsessed with the other. Oh, I'm totally <laughs> obsessed with the other. <laughs> You are a philosopher. You, you know, you're still doing your work. You're still, you're still in there. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, people find out that I have a background in religious studies and they, you know, well, how did you get started in business? And it's like, well, how couldn't I have gotten exactly. started in business? You know, if you look at the Mad Men style ad campaigns, um, that's exactly what they were doing too. Yeah, so, you know, right. it, this is, it's not new. Uh, the channels that we have for it are new. Uh, the ways it's affecting business on a much deeper level. I think that's new. Um, but this whole idea of, of being obsessed with the other and figuring out what is it that you can do to move them, to motivate them, to serve them, uh, with a message that actually matters, that's not new. And it's absolutely the direction I was meant to go in. Mm. How can people get access to the map? Oh, that's easy. You just go to terragentilly.com slash map and you stick your email address in there and I will send it to you. You get the the map uh, exercise, the the little worksheet that you can print out, but you also get a 20 minute audio of me explaining it. Uh, so if you need me to explain it better than I did here, which you you do, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's in there. So, so you don't have to worry about uh, doing this on your own. I can be right there kind of coaching you through it through this 20 minute audio as well. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. This was episode 019 of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. FastTrackCreative.com is our home where you'll find past episodes, our better together creativity community, and a ton of other resources for artists looking to make a difference with their creations. 
Music today provided by TripleSkipMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Audio production provided by Anna Quaza at AidCreative.co. And a special thanks to Tara for being with us. Visit her at TaraGentilly.com. As usual, I want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us on places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that is a really big deal. And we're grateful. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time. Thank you.